Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns, and fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankenstein. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. And we are back. Welcome back, folks, to podcast part three, the part three podcast. I am Sam, and he is Will. I am Will. He's Will. I should I should not completely emasculate <laughs> you and let you introduce yourself. I am Just sorry. Go right over my intro, Sam. Thanks. I, I Thanks. had momentum, man. It's my week. <laughs> it's true. It is. I'm sorry you had to see that, folks. So it was my pick this week, and uh, I decided to throw things back about uh, almost a century at this point and talk about uh, one of the part threes in what you could call the first shared universe of movies, uh, (laughs) Universal Classic Horror's Son of Frankenstein from way back in 1939. Yeah, way back. And is this like the first, one of the the first part threes, like cinematic part threes? I think that wasn't like someone doing uh like a bunch of sherlock holmes's or like right. a, a, a bunch of like uh adventure serials or things like that well, but even then 1939 yeah. is early in the game like yeah it is as far away now from 1939 as 1939 was from like before the civil war i think oh my god <laughs> just to just to put it in perspective here so yeah this is like this is an oddball of a movie because like like anything, especially genre stuff, like horror or sci-fi from before, say, like, 1977, give or take, <laughs> you have to kind of rewire your brain to watch it. So it's like, this isn't, like, a good or a bad movie by modern standards. Yeah. It's, it's like, anything, uh, anything black and white, anything that's from, like, that era of writing and acting and filmmaking (laughs) where they'd only had sound for about 12 years at this point. And when sound came in, they had to completely rethink how they shot movies. Uh, I I refer to the definitive work on the subject singing in the rain. uh, Well, obviously, of course (laughs) (laughs) on the transition from uh, silent to talkies. Yeah. um, I guess a lot you know, everyone knows the Universal Monsters, like, as icons. They are, like, is there anything more easily recognizable than than the monster, the Frankenstein monster's big square head and green bolt (laughs) neck and all that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things, like, it's hard to think of now, but it's almost, like, instantly iconic. And it's one of those, it's one of those looks and designs that I like we as a modern audience can't even think what it was like to see that the first time because it is yeah. so embedded in our pop culture. Like it's so it's so crazy. And and these movies you know elements of them and elements of them have been passed on into other Frankenstein or or Dracula or the Wolfman have yeah. been passed on into other versions of them and they become this like mishmash almost like the movies themselves are an urban legend that get told and retold. <laughs> Like, there's elements of Son of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and the original Frankenstein that just sort of exist in lore and they get 
you yep. know, yep. cut up and split back together, and and it's it's well, like like Igor. I mean, like my understanding is he's not really in the other two Frankenstein movies, right? And no, there's, uh, but he's also if you've seen this movie, Igor is not a hunchback. The right, hunchback, right. <laughs> there's a hunchback in the first Frankenstein named Fritz, and he's like a legitimate like hunchback, like Notre Dame style Quasimodo hunchback. And then he right. gets the name Igor later on. Igor in this, he's got like a, he has like one shoulder up because he had, his neck had been broken. Right, and like, right, yeah. There's other things that like just elements of the Frankenstein monster that have like, that aren't in this, like, Everyone portrays the Frankenstein monster. When you do him, you do him with your hands out forward, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that didn't happen until the fifth movie in the series, and there is a behind-the-scenes reason for it. We can kind of get into that when I go down the crazy-ass continuity of these Frankenstein yeah. movies. Because there are seven universal horror movies that feature the Frankenstein monster. This is the third one. This is the last one with Boris Karloff in it. But there ultimately right. were seven. And the last three or so are kind of your they're the avengers movies where the whole gang shows up <laughs> one but, of those obviously being abbott and costello meet frankenstein right oh I, i'm wrong then there's four actually oh yeah i forgot all about the abbott and costello verse uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so just to to go back to the beginning frank son of frankenstein came out in 1939 this was about eight years into the universal post-silent era horror boom. Uh, Universal Studios in 1931 was run by Carl Lemley Sr. and his son, Carl Lemley Jr., who was probably 26 at the time. Carl Lemley Sr. had, um, he had had a tremendous amount of success with horror in the silent era with Lon Chaney Sr. He'd done Hunchback of Notre Dame. He'd done The Man Who Laughs with Conrad Veidt, and Man Who Laughs famously inspired the design of the Joker in Batman. Uh, and he, he had done, probably most iconically, the 1925 Phantom of the Opera, which is, you know, isn't isn't usually... It, it doesn't make it into these box sets with the, <laughs> the, the, other, the later ones, but is considered an iconic, uh, you know, monster design, and it's a very famous performance from Lon Chaney Sr., one of the most famous... Uh, certainly American silent horror movies. It doesn't quite have the panache of, like, the German expressionist stuff, but it's, right. you know, everyone knows that face. If you, if you, When you think of the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera, you either think of sexy Michael Crawford on Broadway, <laughs> or you think of horrible Skull Man from the silent era. That's pretty much, those are the two. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, 19, late 1920s, silent movies are on their way out, way out. Talking pictures are on their way in, and the Hayes Code is about to kick in and really cr clamp down on what you can put in movies. But Carl Lamely Jr., the young one, kn knows that horror is is something that you can sell, and it'll sell to a theater crowd, and it'll sell to a, an audience. And it's a big swing in 1931 to do this. And in 1931, they make the first movie they make is Dracula with Bela Lugosi. As iconic as the original Frankenstein. As you can get, yeah. Yeah, wow. it's, you know, it's very stagey by modern standards. It was based off a play, not the book so much. Uh, right. But, you know, has Bela Lugosi as Dracula, which is, again, I mean, in terms of a performance, I, I, there's nothing you can say about it. It, it just is. Yeah, it's just, it's like, just, it is just 
it's it's like the most iconic thing in ev- and anything ever. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is. It, it's what you get to this point where it's like, how do you even discuss it in critical terms? Because it is so like deeply embedded in our culture now that you just like, what do you say about it? I don't know. He's Dracula. When you think of Dracula, you think of Bela Lugosi. <laughs> it's, it's that's the one you think of. <laughs> I would equate criticizing this these movies on a certain level, certainly the, like the first few, it would be like going to a cave and criticizing different cave paintings. <laughs> it's like, Oh no, no, you, you can't, it, they, they don't, they're not art. They're not even like films. They're, they're foundational pieces of communication that have been, are, are baked into the history of this medium and our culture at this point. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, it's it's almost like, and, uh, you know, I, I guess I should preface this, the Universal Monsters are like a huge, I saw them, saw those movies when I was a kid, I haven't really revisited them since, so I don't, they're really fuzzy for me. Yeah, but, and, um, and on the flip side, I will say that I have a tremendous affection for them, and there's several that I rewatch on a regular basis out of, like, just just sheer love of them, and I find them fascinating as, like, these weird artifacts but you know, like I, I unironically love them the way I love the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Well, but and that's the thing. It's like a lot of it is you're kind of watching genre film in particular get like codified and figure out like how like the grammar of this kind of stuff is being put together. And um, you know, it's you're watching proto proto science fiction movies, and and you know, you're like with Frankenstein story, very much feels like the proto prototype for RoboCop in a lot of ways. Yeah, and you sort of you're seeing like bits and pieces of it, you know, as it as it sort of filters down through, you know, adaptations, remakes, parodies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can tie it, yeah, to RoboCop. It's the Golem. It's the story of the Golem. Yeah. The original yeah. book by Mary Shelley is is you know, iconic and incredibly influential, but for completely different <laughs> reasons. There's very little to connect that that right. like that the two have in common besides a few character names, and they don't even get those 100% right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, in the original Dracula, for whatever reason, they switch the character names of Mina and Lucy from the book, <laughs> and then they do the same thing in the 1931 Frankenstein where he becomes Henry Frankenstein and his buddy is Victor, and in the book it's Victor Frankenstein and his <laughs> buddy is Henry. Henry. Yeah, it's, I, and it's almost like it, you get, you're, you're gonna see, I'll, I'll talk about it when we talk about like sort of the lead, the lead up to this, because I did a little reading on it, it's every time they made a sequel to one of these, the original writer tries to like actively connect it to the prior movie and then that all gets cut so there's like (laughs) and and i and at first that's laughable but it occurred to me that kind of makes sense because if you this movie is 1939 it had been four years since bride of frankenstein and there's no no way you would have been able to see it yeah Yeah. people wouldn't remember you can't get caught up yeah you gotta move forward new shit you know uh, all you have that that is your connective tissue is that monster that that right. B- Boris Karloff really like because the Boris yeah. Karloff and to a lesser extent Bella Lugosi and then later Lon Chaney Jr. were they were like the rock stars of this Karloff was credited as Karloff right. the Uncanny and he was just like he was in all this shit and he's he's a good actor too yeah like that's yeah. the thing he, he gets I think he gets sold a little short in Son of Frankenstein compared to bride where 
the character There's gets just like, not a lot of them here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so Dracula and Frankenstein are in 1931, and they're both tremendous successes. I think they get re-released a few times through the 30s, but then it's off to the races. And then 1932, you have The Mummy, which is basically kind of the same plot as uh, Dracula, but with a better director, <laughs> and he's a mummy. <laughs> but like... And if and if you're going into that expecting anything like the Brendan Fraser mummy, you're you're gonna be very disappointed. Very disappointed. But very, it's like a, it's better made than Dracula. It's a it's the guy who directed it is the cinematographer that worked with Todd Browning on Dracula, and he's a better. It's like he kind of took all the stuff from Dracula and like it was like a chance to kind of hone it and do it again a second time around. Right. Yeah. And then. 1935 is Bride of Frankenstein, which is one of the weirdest movies ever made. <laughs> and that's that's James Whale allowed to do whatever he wants. And it's this weird, homoerotic, Christian allegory. It's, it's you know, has a lot of, like, the most iconic Frankenstein stuff in it. The bride's design is super famous. And she's literally in the last two minutes of the movie. I got I, it's been so long uh, oh my god that's she's like it's just the last scene you spend a lot of time in that movie with just the monster and it's um he goes to the hut and he meets the blind man right and he he learns to speak bride of frankenstein is where you get like good friend, friend. make friend <laughs> big success but at about that time the horror movies were doing well but the lamleys put a lot of money into projects that were kind of bombs. And so in 1936, they were forced out of Universal in a hostile takeover. And that kind of changes the trajectory of horror for Universal. And by the early 40s, they were in full-on crank-em-out mode. (laughs) But before they did that, they made uh, Dracula's Daughter in 1936, which is the sequel to Dracula. Uh, Doesn't feature Bela Lugosi, but has as many lesbian, has as much lesbian subtext as Bride of Frankenstein has homoerotic subtext. (laughs) And then in 1939, they make Son of Frankenstein, which I can only describe as it feels like they're trying to do a soft reboot of the Frankenstein series after just two movies. And a big part of that is also James Whale was no longer involved. And Colin Clive, the actor who played Victor Frankenstein in the, or excuse me, Henry Frankenstein <laughs> in the first two, had passed away. He was uh, an alcoholic. He had some mental health issues. He mm-hmm. died very young. Really strong performance in those first two movies. But Son of Frankenstein, they bring out the big guns. It's the big, the three Bs. <laughs> they got Basil Rathbone. Oh, they got Bela Lugosi, and they got Boris Karloff. And they're going to do a, they're going to, the gang's all here. And they are going to devour the scenery. <laughs> just they really devour. Are. They really like just, they're like, we are going to take big old bites out of that, out of these sets. And they are amazing sets. This is such, a, I wanted to talk about this movie in particular because it's such an oddity compared to almost every movie around it, except for maybe like those first five. Like you've got sort of that. Like the, you, you, again, to, if I go pull out the box set off my shelf, you got Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the Mummy, um, the Invisible Man, the Wolf Man, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, and they usually try to wedge the Claude Rains Phantom of the Opera that no one actually likes uh, on there as well. But Wolf Man and uh, like, well, Creature from the Black Lagoon is way later. It's 1954. Yeah, Wolf Man is 1941. He comes in a little later, but. 
I'd say apart from those first few that have sort of a real style and are very iconic, Son of Frankenstein, it's such an oddity because it's not only really well shot, oh, yeah. beautifully designed, but it is easily 25 to 30 minutes longer than every other Universal <laughs> Monster movie. For better or worse, I will say. But like some of these movies, most of them do not clear 75 minutes. Right. And this one is an hour and 40. Yeah, yeah. it is It is strange that this one's so long, because, like, the shorter run times, I would imagine part of that was just because of money and film stock, right? I mean, like, like they couldn't just continuously run four-hour movies or what, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this one, this one had a pretty big budget compared to the others. I think the budget was, like, three to four hundred thousand dollars. Okay, yeah. Which was not nothing in 1939. yeah. So basically, Son of Frankenstein, at the end of The Bride of Frankenstein, uh, Victor, Victor, Henry, Henry, Heinrich in this one, it's Heinrich. That's right, yeah. He gets his, uh, Heinrich, Dr. Frankenstein and his uh, sort of uh, very mincing, sort of weird old queen of a college professor make, Dr. Pretorius make uh, The Bride to appease uh, his original creation and give him a friend. The bride rejects the creature, and uh, the creature blows up the lab and kills himself, the bride, and Dr. Pretorius. Uh, Frankenstein himself and his bride Elizabeth survive, and now we jump ahead some 20, 30 years, and his son, Wolf von Frankenstein, has returned to their... uh, old European village uh, of Franken. It's now called Frankenstein. Right, it the whole village is Frankenstein before. now, yeah. Yeah. And they, uh, to to reclaim the, like, family estate and all of his, and, and like, the title and all that, and when they get there, him <laughs> and his wife and his and his little son, Peter, that town is not happy to see him. <laughs> nope. What did they, they uh, when the moment they show up, they're like, we're here to meet you, not to greet you. <laughs> Yeah, all these old fucking burgomasters. Oh, I love I love Universal Monster Town where it's sort of set in this like timeless world where people are wearing lederhosen or like 1930s suits just depending on the scene. Yep, Sometimes yep. it's interchangeable. The mob can either be all in suits and fedoras or they're all in like old Bavarian leotards. It's it's I love it. I lo- it's so, it, it's so iconic, and it's just and this one just it's the design of the Frankenstein like castle and manor. Oh my god, it's so cool! Like half the notes, half of my notes are these sets! Exclamation point. Yeah, <laughs> it. They get there, and you know, it's not an inviting place, but no. it's just gorgeous. Their use of shadows, they those staircases, and the- it's very. Uh, the sorry, Sam. Go ahead. No, no, no. The the are you talking about the dining room? Yes, I was going to talk the about two, the like, dining gargoyles. room. <laughs> These two like boar shaped gargoyles that are like right over the dinner table, it, and there's a big like fireplace. Their use of like rain on the windows. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, I and like like lighting from fireplaces, shooting from within the fireplace. Yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, and the, the look of the lab, too, is so, like, crazy and strange and surreal. Yeah. And, like, and it's not, and, like, it's supposed to be the lab from the first two movies. Right. Yet, the old the lab from the first two movies was not in his backyard. It was, like, 
way far away at an old tower and he had kept disappearing off to there in the first movie and it had like the tall tower that you could go up to the top of and lightning would strike this one it's like this weird IMAX theater dome like mixed with a, a sulfur mine <laughs> yeah like an old sulfur mine an old an old Roman bath yeah. <laughs> that had gotten too hot and then there's like tunnels and the crypt and yeah. it's it's and, and like the, the castle has like secret passageways and uh, it's got a lot of um, it's a lot of like German expressionist vibes to it. Like the staircases all made me think of like Dr. Caligari. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, those yeah. like sort of like a lot of angles, a lot of shadows. Like they really, the director ro- is Roland Lee, and he he's like one of those early twentieth century working directors who's got about six hundred and fifty thousand credits right. to his name. Sure, yeah. And this is probably his most famous movie. I think he did the Don Amici Three Musketeers as well. Okay. Yeah. He just he he really he went knew how to it. shoot this thing. Yeah. I yeah, mean, he definitely he went he took a big swing and it works. Yeah, I mean and and you know, like you know, like we were kind of saying, it's the, the genre is sort of getting codified. The rules are getting hammered down how these things are supposed to work and how these things are supposed to play. So it's like, it's a time kind of where there's a lot more willingness to do invention and uh, with the camera and where to point the camera and how to how to play with things and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's it's getting better at letting kind of character stuff get into the story like you know it's still got one of those this happens and then this happens and then this happens plots but there's this kind of fun like cat and mouse it's all very rough around the edges but there's this great like cat and mouse thing going on in the movie between uh frankenstein and igor and inspector krog who uh When I told you last week uh, that there, this inspired young Frankenstein, <laughs> did you know that there was a real movie with a guy with a fake arm that would like no. go up and down and so, he'd stick his like cigarette lighter it, it, in it? Every every time that character showed up on screen, uh, on screen, I could not stop laughing. And this is this is one of those things. It's like when you and you know people our age encountering Casablanca for the first time and knowing like all the references from Looney Tunes. <laughs> Yeah, and or it's like watching um, Enter the Dragon after you've seen Kentucky Fried Movie. It's like if you know the parody, and the parody is really good. You know, it's like yeah, you don't even need to know the reference to enjoy the parody. No, and but then when you come to the original thing, you you sort of a lot of the impact of the original thing is lost just because of where we're coming at it in time. It's so fascinating because the actor, Lionel Atwill, gives like a really good performance. And his whole monologue where he talks about losing his arm. Like Frankenstein, when he gets, when Wolf Frankenstein, uh, Basil Rathbone gets to the village, he's very much like, I don't believe a lot of the stuff they say (laughs) about my father. It's fake news. Right. I don't think it was all that. I think it was all a little blown out of proportion. Did you know they even call the monster Frankenstein sometimes? <laughs> Which I I loved. I was I, like, that was oh, such a great shit, joke. This, yeah, that was like this movie was meta in 1939. <laughs> <laughs> but then he meets this inspector who's like this inspector in this small shitty European village full of you know the same universal day players they're in every one of these movies all all the burgers all the guys in that right. little city council they're in every one of these movies i swear to god the one who has who gets choked out on the cart 
Yeah. In every fucking one of these movies, I That's swear awesome. to you. He will <laughs> be in the great. next Frankenstein and the Frankenstein after that as some sort of townsperson. Uh, so he meets this inspector and the inspector's like, I'm here to protect you, Dr. Frankenstein, from these villagers. I, I stand at your need. And he's like, I don't see what there is to fear. I, mo- how, how much harm could the monster have really done? And then he's like, yeah, he ripped my arm out at the socket when I was a little kid. <laughs> and he has oh, that line. It's like, in another life, I'd be a general. Now, instead, I'm a gendarme guarding three deputies in a town. And yeah. it's like, it's like this honest, genuine moment. And it, it kind like, it, Basil Rathbone's performance in this is is the uh, hundred minute version of Joe Bluth going, "I've made a huge mistake." <laughs> And it's just like he he can talk himself into making a bet like a, another stupid move every yeah. five minutes. Oh my god! But yeah. at some point, at some point, he realizes. I think around the time when he figures out how buddy buddy the monster and and Igor are, that he's like, oh, I fucked. Up. I screwed. I made up. a huge. I made a huge mistake. That was something I really liked is Igor and, and the monster's relationship. And I, I liked Igor using the monster as like his, his his murder instrument. Like I thought that was really clever, you know, flipping the formula a little bit as to how to use the monster and how. You know. Yeah, he gets a little sidelined. He's very sympathetic in the first two movies and the monster in this one. It's kind of a sign of what's to come, with right. how they treat the monster in later movies. He's still got... Basil, Ra- uh, no, uh, Boris Karloff performing him, and he has that pathos to him, like the scene where he sees himself in the mirror, right? And then he turns to B- Basil Rathbone, and it's just kind of like, why, why, why do I look like this? Why? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's just like. But Bella Lugosi is so good in this movie. Oh my god, he's having, and he's having the time of his life. Yeah, he's having the time of his life. But I think that's an acting choice too. Like yeah. that character knows. He is playing everybody, and he yep. loves it. Yeah. He's having so much fun. Like, I am going to get all these fuckers. <laughs> this weird guy. He carries around his little Vuvuzula horn that he's always playing. Yes. And he's just, like, spitting on guys. Like, you spit on me. I am sorry. Bone gets stuck in my throat when you hang me. <laughs> Why would I kill him dead? That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> This is the place of the dead. We're all dead here. <laughs> What's amazing is if you told someone that is the same guy that played Count Dracula, they, they look like, because, you know, Bela Lugosi and Count Dracula is the epitome of, like, old world aristocratic count. Right, yeah. Know? He reminds me a lot of, um, in this, his character in um, Island of Lost Souls, the Dr. Moreau Yeah, very um, similar. Adaptation. Yeah. And Island of Lost Souls was a year after Dracula, too. I think he, well, he very famously, did you know I turned down Frankenstein? You know, (laughs) I didn't think the part was sexy enough. Uh, He had these performances in him, but he kind of, he uh, had substance abuse problems his entire life as a result of injuries from World War One. He, um, you know, I think he didn't, he's very stubbornly refused to learn, like, fluent English for a long time, so he was... A lot of the, he learned all his lines for Dracula phonetically, which oh, wow. is where you get that the weird you know, you know I, I don't will be leaving tomorrow evening. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, wow. my blood now flows through her veins. You know, like that sort of thing. It's and uh, you know I think he had limitations 
but I, you know, he obviously had, you know, everyone knows sort of the, the, the rise of Boris Karloff and the fall of Bela Lugosi, but he had these performances in him and he had that comedic streak to him. Yeah. And I think like, if you ever say, oh, Bela Lugosi never gave any good performances besides Dracula, show them this. He's really good in it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, and his, you know, and the way he plays it with the monster, there is like affection for that for the monster on his end too. It, it's uh, it's it's interesting the way that 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 dynamic is is played out. And I wish, I almost wish the whole movie was kind of that. It was like those two or or exploring those two. Well, it's it's also yeah. He kind of he gets kind of he gets shot and he's kind of out of the movie at that yeah. point. Uh, and but and you kind of wish that yeah the the that relationship developed a little more to also real for the monster to realize that that Igor's using him. Everyone's right. using him. The only yeah. one that's not using him is the little kid who's just nice to him. <laughs> so obviously he's got to run off and nearly throw that kid in some uh, boiling <laughs> <The> sulfur. <laughs> oh my god, that kid cracked me up. He was just like so just nonchalant and chill and had a very strange accent. <laughs> Don- Donnie Dunigan. He's, uh, uh, I think he's still alive. Oh, wow. And uh, apart from this, he was the voice of Bambi. Oh, really? Wow. Mother! <laughs> you, know, you can hear it. Yeah, well, no, you can. hello! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. But yeah, wait, when, huh. when, when, when Basil Rathbone hears him talk about, like, oh, this giant was nice. <laughs> he walked like this. And he's like, oh, oh shit. Oh, no, what have I done? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh man, Rathbone! <laughs> well, it's, it's it's a great performance from Rathbone. I I I was I'm, I think we're about to say the same thing is like how great he is because he um you know Basil Rathbone's known for either playing uh, uh Sherlock Holmes or like a, a wide array of medieval like mustache twirling villains like yeah. in Robin Hood. Yeah. He's so great in this because he starts out he's such a schmuck. He is right. a classic universal horror schmuck. Like like he's so naive at first. You know, nothing in nature is terrifying when one understands it. Right, you know, yeah. It, it, it's, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's like, he just, he can't help, and his, his we must, how can we, we must endeavor for science, you know. Right, it's right. It's like, yeah. there's that whole montage where he's just, like, examining the monster with old time, and then, which goes from, like, real x-rays to, you know, a lot of, like, Tesla coils and, and lightning and <laughs> yep, stuff. as it should, as it should. <laughs> And he gets so belligerent anytime anyone's on to him. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing that uh, sort of... I can see why Mel Brooks used this movie sort of as the template for Young Frankenstein. Because, like, it's so... The emotions and everything are so overheated that all you really need to do is just give it, like, one little nudge over and it's funny. <laughs> you know? Totally, yeah. It's very... It very much feels like one of those like parlor mysteries a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Like the like like the audience is in on it. You know what's going on, but you're kind of like if you tweaked it one way, the sh- like Krog would be your point of view character. Yeah, Young Frankenstein, you tweak it to it's another way, and it's this guy who's just like, you know, uh, just desperately just... not desperately trying to avoid his father's destiny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you've in, you've inherited my you've inherited the Frankenstein uh, name. I hope you do not inherit their fate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that line too. I have that, and then I have he Rathbone yells, "Quiet, you fool!" At one point, and uh, quiet, he did, you fool. He does say, "It's alive," too. He said the line. Yep. He's he says uh, he says it's alive. 
which is like I feel like for these movies is the uh, you find a way to work it in the way you work in. Um, uh, I'll be back in the in Terminator the Terminator movies. movies. Yeah, absolutely. so in Bride, it's of course she's alive. <laughs> I scare him to death. I don't have to kill him to death. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I whipped one up as a housewife whips up an omelet. <laughs> Oh my god so many good quotes yeah so it's a very quotes. quotable movie it's you know it, it drags there in the last act as yeah. it's kind of it like after uh poor benson the butler dies it <laughs> kind of is just like it, waiting for everyone to figure it out one it, by one while the mob kind of gets blue balls down at the front gate <laughs> really wanting to go up there the mob doesn't get to burn anything down in this movie no i was disappointed i wanted a mob rampage and i did not get one no you get upset. a mob rampage i think at the end of all of the subsequent frankenstein movies <laughs> have a mob rampage <laughs> but instead uh like it's it ends with uh Basil Rathbone uh kicking the monster into the sulfur and then very wisely just just jump like, cut to them you know we're going away. We're going. Fuck We're leaving. It. <laughs> Fucking off out of town. <laughs> Goodbye. You guys can have the castle. Do what you want with it. We're out. <laughs> Not dealing with this anymore. Bye. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it is like, it's so interesting. It is, it's, it's, you know, like the things that, that were cut from the original script were all like things tying into the second movie, like the monster talked originally. And, right. uh, you know, like the they found the skeleton of Doctor Pretorius from the second movie. It's it this you know for better or worse this becomes more of a standalone thing with only like tangential tissue to the original well, or to just, the second movie. I mean, only and only the amount that you really just need to know. I mean, it's it's sort of like well, he's the son of Frankenstein and he's inherited the castle and you're you're off to the races. And I mean, I have to imagine, like we were saying earlier, that the the function of, of a lot of this is just because the infrastructure to rewatching movies was just almost impossible in the 30s. Not that they didn't do like, you know, they didn't re-release movies all the time, but it's not like you could, it's not like now when you can be like, well, the latest Marvel movies come out, I gotta watch, you know, Black Panther to know what's happening and I can just pull that up anytime I want. Yeah, and I think in hindsight that actually benefited these movies when they got rediscovered on TV in the 60s and on home video in the 80s and 90s cuz yeah, you could watch Son of Frankenstein without having seen the first two. It 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 works on its own more or less. Yeah, there's nothing that you know? you, you need to know going in that you I mean all you really need to know is the basics of Frankenstein. Yeah. The <laughs> the the yeah, the absolute bare bones baked into the cult in, into the culture you know frankenstein stuff which everyone knows yeah. you know that from you could go to the the beetlejuice rockin review at universal and know everything you need to know to see this movie exactly yeah yeah it's um it's it's definitely a document of its time uh but it's uh, but it was very entertaining and and part of it i think it really is like as we were saying the actors everyone's just bringing their a game and and it's 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 great genre acting of the 1930s yes which exactly doesn't bear any real resemblance to acting in modern movies <laughs> but is like when you watch anything made before, like, 1960, you kind of have to look at it with a different lens. Yeah. Because acting styles and filmmaking styles were so different. And 
there's some amazing, like, this is, whatever, what am I saying? Yeah, there's some great <laughs> movies made before 1950. <laughs> Casablanca's really good. What, you know? Sam, what a hot take. Oh, my God. Oh, oof. scorched that one. <laughs> Oh, I have to not get into film student mode where I act like I'm the first person to ever have had these ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, obviously they couldn't see movies all the time. Well, duh, you dummy. Of course they could. <laughs> but except they could. They well, just had to see new movies right, all the time. Right. That's why... That's why from 1940 to 1944, there are at least 20 Universal Monster movies, and half of them are just mummy sequels that aren't even sequels to The Mummy. (laughs) They rebooted The Mummy as The Mummy's Hand in 1940, uh, and then proceeded to make a series of mummy sequels that I've seen. They all have um, Lon Chaney Jr. as uh, not Imhotep, but Karis. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, I, at, the second one is probably 60 minutes long, and the first 25 minutes of it are just the uh, the guy from the first movie in old age makeup talking about what happened <laughs> and showing flashbacks of the, fr- the prior film. God, that's like a lot of the, um, the Godzilla sequels, uh, like Godzilla versus Gigan and Godzilla versus Megalon, where it's like they didn't have a ton of money, so they just reused stock footage from the other movies. Oh, sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think the Hammer movies did that after a while too. Uh, it's, um, but yeah, but that's another thing. When you think of the Mummy, you think of old guy wrapped up in bandages, kind of walking all hunched. That's the that's Karis, not Emotep. Emotep only looks like a mummy in one scene, and he's ne- and you only really ever see him moving with his hand coming in from off screen. The rest of the time, he's Boris Karloff in like a fez and like an outfit and he's got like a very wrinkly face but he looks like a normal oh, person dude. huh but uh yeah that's the thing these movies all become like it's i think there are individual ones in these in this what is essentially a shared universe of movies that extends over give or take 18 or 19 years that definitely deserve merit dracula is 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 like an essential watch. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein are all really good. Like, yeah. they should all be seen. Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are just so weird. <laughs> like, Bride of Frankenstein is absolutely nuts. It is the nuttiest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it's 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 got, like, Dr. Pretorius has created little tiny people that he keeps in bottles, and he dressed one like a king and one like a queen, and the king keeps climbing out of his bottle to get into the queen's bottle to do what they do you know how, how do i not remember maybe i've never seen this movie i think that would be stuck in my brain oh no th- that's the thing you don't have to have seen these movies to know these movies right the imagery of them like i said bride the bride on every poster on every vhs tape on every blu-ray she's in two minutes of the movie uh the we all know frankenstein as walking with his hands out in front of him Right. You want me to tell you why we know that? Yes. So the sequel to Son of Frankenstein is called The Ghost of Frankenstein. It doesn't have Boris Karloff. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. plays the monster, but Bella Lugosi comes back as Igor. Oh, okay. In that one, they escape the the, the townsfolk, uh, having been given the castle by Basil Rathbone at the end, get, have a meeting at the beginning. They're like, let's blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Igor, who has survived, and the monster... Uh, flee, escape before they, it gets blown up, and they flee to a neighboring village where another son of Frankenstein, 
has been living under an assumed name. And he wants, uh, uh, he, he, he wants, um, uh, Igor wants this Dr. Frankenstein to put his brain in the monster's body okay. so that the monster can be at peace and he can have a strong body. It's got one sense. good line that I always like, which is, I know who you are, but I also know who your relatives were. <laughs> which is a pretty good line. It's still got Bella swinging for the fences, but at the end of the movie, Frankenstein's assistant betrays him and does the procedure. The assistant is played by Lionel Atwell, who played Inspector Krogan. in this. Lionel Atwell is in all of these movies as well. <laughs> Often as, like, uh, as some sort of gendarme. Right. He was in a ton of them until he was accused of perjury in, like, a scandal where he may have been holding an orgy at his house. What? And then his his career kind of ended. He only did, like, bit parts after that, and he died in, like, 1946. Wow. But another, like, he's in all... He goes... He I think he's in everything from, like, Son of Frankenstein onward. He's in all of these movies. Okay. But Igor's brain goes into the monster's body, and unfortunately... He's been tricked. The blood types don't match and he oh, can't no. see and he freaks out and he starts staggering around the lab and it explodes in a, in a chemical fire and he dies as it like sinks into the ground. So keep in mind, remember, he's blind. Right. Okay. Jump to Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943. Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman is looking for Dr. Frankenstein because he may know that this guy is like the only one, uh, the gypsy woman from the Wolfman says, there's only one doctor I know that might know how to cure you or if very at the very least know how to let you die. So okay. he goes to Castle Frankenstein. Frankenstein's dead, obviously, but he finds the monster frozen in ice. Now, originally, Bella Lugosi, who now is playing the monster in this one, so the monster's now... <laughs> Right. much shorter uh, <laughs> was going to have dialogue and it, the fact that he was blind was going to be a plot point. They ended up cutting any scenes, any of his dialogue and the, any reference to the Igor stuff from the prior movies. Oh but there are shots where you can see his mouth moving, but they've, they've, they've cut out the, the dialogue. dialogue. But that's why Frankenstein moves with his hands out in front of him. Because he can't see. In that one, he's like pointing and he's constantly, you can see Lon Chaney, you can see the Wolfman like guiding him in certain shots because he's supposed to be blind. That's why Frankenstein's monster famously walks with his hands out. And they did that in every movie after just because now that's what he did. That's the thing. Oh my God. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's a deleted plot point <laughs> left over from a prior movie. Another one of those attempts at continuity that they, did, they decided, nah, nah. How? Do we want to reshoot? Nah. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. And then just as it as it gets filtered again through parody, adaptation, you know, reimagining, yeah. it's just that's how the monster moves. Like, that's how Frankenstein moves. By Abbott and Costello moves. meet Frankenstein five years later, right. he's, he's walking, walking with his like hands that. out. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, like, you watch all the Boris Karloff ones, he always has his hands at his sides with his, like, hands completely flat. Right. And his fingers pointed down. Like, that was kind of how he walked. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, I don't know, it, it, that doesn't have anything to do with Son of Frankenstein, but I just find that shit so interesting. This, like, first attempt at, like, a shared universe and serialized movie making. Yeah. And just how it has, how it has endured 
almost independent of the movies themselves over the years. It's probably the first example of like iconic stuff that's so iconic that you don't need to have seen it to know like more than half of the, the right. shit in it. Yeah. Yeah, it that's it's that's it's just so crazy to to like think about um a lot of that like and it's it's really hard as a modern audience member coming at it when you have sort of you know your your son of Frankenstein's and a you know a zillion Looney Tunes that like make fun of the Universal monsters and and coming at these you know with decades of that stuff on top of it it's uh it it makes for an interesting watch for sure um, yeah it's it's I don't know I I just think it's real cool and then like and they made yeah so they made like. In addition to, like, the monsters, they had all their, like, sort of, like, they had the Black Cat and the Raven and right. movies like that that have, like, a Edgar Allan Poe title but have nothing to do with Edgar Allan Poe. Right. And, uh, and like, the other monsters, like, there were four Invisible Man movies. And That's... there were, the Wolfman kind of just merged with Frankenstein after a while. So after Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which is the second Wolfman movie... There were actually there was a prior attempt at a werewolf movie called Werewolf of London in 1935, but it's that's an interesting movie because the Wolfman the movie kind of established all the rules for werewolves like <laughs> uh, uh, full moon and and uh, Wolf's Bane and the pentagram thing. Uh, werewolf of London, it's like there's a flower that grows in Asia that'll turn you into a werewolf. And this scientist goes and gets them, and he comes back uh, to London. And the wolf makeup is much different. It just kind of makes him look like he's got, like, Wolverine's hairdo and a lot of <laughs> eyeliner. So that didn't work out. So they did The Wolfman in 1941. Frankenstein meets The Wolfman in 1943. And then that's when they stopped casting real actors as the monster. <laughs> Because the last two together were House of Frankenstein in 1944 and House of Dracula in 1945. And those are both, <laughs> the posters for them crack me up because they like highlight all the shit that's in them. So it's Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Hunchback, Mad Doctor, Mob. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, we got it all, gang. This is what you're going to see. This is what you're paying to see. And both of those, the monster was played by Glenn Strange, who was just a big, like, he was like a Western actor. Right. Like, he's, I think, bit parts in some of these older ones. Like, he's always like a guard or a bouncer. But he right. just, he literally, it's like, like clockwork in both the movies. They, the mad scientist finds the monster at, like, the end of Act One. And then it's just kind of sitting in the back of the lab. And he's like, <laughs> I will find a way to give it power. And then, like, as shit hits the fan at the end of Act Three the monster gets up just in time to kind of like stumble around the lab and start a fire. <laughs> and then they just reuse footage from ghost of Frankenstein to show, to show him burning to the ground. Of course. Uh, it was, it was, and Dracula uh, and Dracula's in both of those. Uh, and he's John Carradine. Oh, yeah. Nice. Different Dracula. Was that the same Frankenstein who, um, was in, uh, uh, Adam Costello meet Frankenstein. Yes, yeah, yes. That that's Glenn Strange as well. Yeah, that one feels like the comedic House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula are basically Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but without Abbott and Costello. Right, right. And <laughs> and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein has Bela Lugosi in it, too, right? As yeah. Dracula, the only other time he played Dracula. Wow. 
I, I, I mean, I would be remiss. That's my father's favorite movie is Adam Costello and Frankenstein. <laughs> so I have to bring it up when we're talking about the Universal Monsters. No, so. I mean, it, I mean, it was one of the, apparently Abbott and Costello did not like the script and didn't <laughs> really? enjoy making it, but, uh, they, um, used to, uh, they, it ended up being, I think their most successful film. Yeah. And was kind of the end of the horror era for Universal. Cause right after that there's a pivot to uh, the next big successful... The last monster to enter the Pantheon was Creature from the Black Lagoon, and that signals the shift to sci-fi in the 50s. You go from monsters to creatures and mad scientists and giant insects. Yeah, the atomic atomic age, really. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but what's great about Abbott Costello and Frankenstein is that the horror elements are played completely straight, and it's just Abbott Costello have wandered into one of those movies. It's yeah, it's so great. <laughs> I love the end because the uh, the end is Vincent Price showing up as the invisible, invisible man. man. It's like, yeah. oh dear, I'd hoped to get in on the farm. You know? <laughs> Because yeah. and he had played the Invisible Man. He was the Invisible Man in the Invisible Man Returns, which was the sequel to the Invisible Man with Claude Rains. Invisible, the Invisible Man, I should note, is my one of my absolute favorite movies and my favorite Universal monster movies. That's right. It's uh, it's the I... movie that made me want to get into voiceover because it's oh. like Claude Rains is almost exclusively voice acting. You only see him at the very end, and it's it's he's so maniacal, and he, <laughs> honestly, I think he has the highest body count of any Universal monster. He kills really? probably a hundred and fifty people in that in that movie. Uh, I think uh, the. I think the first time I met you was right before Halloween, and you were going as the Invisible Man that year. Yep, it's a cost-effective costume. <laughs> you just need you just need a hat, a coat, and a bunch of bandages, That's and right. you're good to go. And if people don't know you're the Invisible Man, they think you're Dark Man. Dark Man. So, so you win yeah. either way, really. Yeah, it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, we, and speaking of Abbott and Costello, we we would be remiss not to add that you and I. Uh, used to live in the building Lou Costello died in. Died. That's right, we did. We did. Did yeah. we ever figure out which apartment? Was it ours? No. I gotta <laughs> imagine he had a nicer... I, I felt sad when I learned that because, honestly, that apartment building was kind of a shithole. Well, but it might not have been in the, in the, whenever, whenever Costello died. I felt sad because it made me worry, oh, had he fallen on hard times? But actually, he was just renting the place while his mansion was being remodeled. <laughs> So, which then made me sad because, like, oh, he didn't get to see if his new backsplash was nice in the kitchen, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, boy, that apartment, woof. That that was one where we started looking into lemon laws. Wasn't that, isn't that what started Uh, happening? I, Uh. I don't know. (laughs) You woke up with water running down your face more times in that apartment, I, we had a we woke up one morning with the the light fixture in the kitchen flooded with water. We're lucky yeah. we didn't have an electrical fire. Yeah. Oh, oh God! So much brown water in the bathtub. God <laughs> damn it! It's amazing. My wife stayed with me even though I was living there at the time. <laughs> same, same. Oh God. So yes. yeah, Will. Any final thoughts on Son of Frankenstein and the sort of Universal monster? Uh, MCU, Monster uh, yeah. Cinematic Universe. 
watching this makes me want to go back and watch the others because like i said i hadn't seen them since i was a kid and you talking about some of the things in bride of frankenstein makes me think that maybe i never saw bride of frankenstein i mean i think they're just such fascinating little time pieces and yeah you can watch a bunch of them because this one's the longest one right. the rest of them <laughs> are are 70 minutes long at best yeah, but uh, but I think I mean I I was entertained by this, and I I think if you are you know since we are a, a sequel podcast looking at sequels and the history of sequels sort of, um, I think it's worth uh, tracking down sort of the Universal monsters because that's kind of the start of a lot of sequel sequels in film. I mean, obviously the serials had been around for a while, but this is really like the first kind of like cinematic sequels that actually tried some sort of continuity. And they're incredibly important pieces of horror film well, history. Well, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's like, they're not scary. None of them are all no. that scary. And I, I also think this one deserves recognition because it isn't as well known. It's yeah. it, like most people know Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And if you've seen those or if you've seen some universal horror and you want to see more, this is a great one. Yes. Yeah. It's... it's Really well done. It's beautifully shot and designed. It's one of the best looking of these movies by far. Yeah. And it's got three horror legends in it, so... Yeah, and the, the matte... Like like you were saying, Sam, the matte paintings and the sets are just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> just so cool. Brilliant lighting, too. The shadow yeah. work in these. It yeah. reminds me a lot of the black and white sort of version of some of the shadow stuff and, like, the fireplace stuff in Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah, oh which yeah, was for sure. Also, which was, I think Michael Curtiz directed that, but that was a Warner Brothers thing that had Basil Rathbone. Yeah. I, that movie, I think, holds up today. It's, yes. That movie's no, so much does. fun. Yeah. No, this was a lot of fun. I love the Universal Monster movies, and I have great affection for them, and I love putting them on, like, in the background or on, like, uh, like a lazy Sunday because they're just great little slices of black and white cinema, and they're, and they're very, <laughs> they go down very easy. And um, I'm pleased and delighted. Uh, on the opposite of pleased and delighted, it's your pick. This it is my pick. Deal. Well, hopefully this one won't be won't be too hard. This one's uh, a pretty recent movie that I'm just very excited because I didn't see it in theaters. Spider-Man No Way Home. All right. Wow. Can't, can't get enough uh, mad scientists this week, huh? <laughs> That's right. No. <laughs> I'm something of a scientist myself. Myself. Yeah. He said it. <laughs> he said the line. He said the line. That's the equivalent of It's Alive for Spider-Man movies with Willem Dafoe, I suppose. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters, so I'll have to rewatch it. But, I mean, you might have finally gotten us over that hump, Will, <laughs> into uh, a, a, a genuinely good movie. Yeah, well, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll revisit this conversation uh, after your next pick, uh, because the one I'm going to pick is probably not uh, going to be a winner, so... Uh... <laughs> Why? <laughs> don't give don't it's don't give me hope. It's a cheese, Sam. Don't, oh, tease. that's it's like I I you know it's the whatever what what like it's just like I am gonna live in dread for two <laughs> yeah, weeks. <laughs> yeah, every time they're like, oh Jesus, what is Will picked this week? Oh no, it, you know what? I'm gonna defend you, uh, you know, to to you. I think your heart's <laughs> in the right place. You're not trying to pick bad movies. No. But, uh, yes, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, a, a surprise, uh, a, a sneaky trilogy third movie. It, 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 yeah. It, tri it, 
you wouldn't have think that you wouldn't think that with a Marvel MCU movie, but it definitely is, and I think that'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, and yeah, we can kind of uh, we've talked around it a lot, but we can talk about the MCU. Uh, yeah, and sort of how it's it's uh, barreling through culture and all sorts of things. <laughs> Absolutely, as a as a, a an eminently watchable stranglehold on pop culture these days. Yes. Yeah, probably just about the same amount as the Universal Monsters did in their oh, day. Oh, absolutely, actually. I would say that if there is anything you can compare the MCU to, it is the Universal Classic Monsters. Not yeah. so much in quality, but definitely in terms of, like, wanting to connect all your movies and wanting <laughs> to have, like, a constant stream of content. I think there's a lot more TLC that's going into the Marvel Studios stuff than there was into some of the <laughs> lesser Universal movies. But it very much in the same spirit. This is yeah. indeed the first shared universe, I would say. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's that's probably true. And I don't know if you have any other examples except for like either you know the Godzilla movies, kind of, uh, and uh, you know maybe Quentin Tarantino has a kind of thing in his movies and. Kevin Smith really is the only other shared universe on. And, yeah, and that I can think maybe of. I think some of the Hammer monsters in the fifties and sixties uh, are all sort of connected yeah. a bit. They also were all connected because they all have Peter Cushing and Christopher <laughs> Lee in them. Yeah, it's like Star Wars is all Star Wars. It's all one story, uh, and and same with Star Trek. It's all one thing. The MCU is all one thing, but all different different things at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> and it's and like the monster movies, if yeah, you gotta there's like even like yeah, like Spider Man No Way Home is informed by other movies besides the prior Spider Man movies. Right. But if you only like certain heroes, you really only have to follow their threads. It's like reading Marvel comics. It's like right. yeah, absolutely. if you only read Captain America, you're gonna only read Captain America and then the Avengers crossovers. If you only like if Chris Hemsworth is the hunk that does it for you, you watch the <laughs> Thor movies. You don't have to watch the Iron Man movies. You don't have to watch Black Widow. You know, it's no. it's it's not it's they want you to watch everything. They want you to <laughs> consume everything, but you don't have to. And it's the same with the Universal Monsters. If you only like Frankenstein, you got 7 of those. If you only like Dracula, you've got 1 2 3 4 5 <laughs> 5 of those. Two of them don't really have Dracula in them. It gets weird there in the middle. Uh, but yeah, that's that's you you get it. Yeah. Well, folks, thank you as always for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Podcast Part Three and feel please subscribe to us. Uh, give us likes. Give us reviews. Reviews apparently. This is what I've heard from the the podcast gods. Reviews are kind of what get the 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 numbers up. And you know, uh, I've looked at our analytics and. It's exciting to see we get more and more people downloading and listening every week, and I, I hope you've all been enjoying it. It's it's just nice to sort of sit back and chat and listen to people chatting about movies, <laughs> and um, and and we hope you'll continue to join us because we have a lot of part threes left to go, some good ones, some okay ones, and some profoundly bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, un until next time, Will, always a delight, always a pleasure. Always great. Always good. I, I, I like these chats a lot. I look forward to them. So Me too. They, 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 they make, they, he's, he is my friend. He <laughs> does things for me. 
sounded really dirty when you just said it that way, but... I know. mean, it sounded dirty when Bela Lugosi when, that, that's said... That's true. That's true. He's just, he can't... He gets those dentures. He's just, like, grinning like a real perv <laughs> through most of the movie. I liked it when he was skulking around in the windows. It's like, eh. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> whole, like, the whole first act, he's just kind of skulking and, like, glaring at kids. <laughs> yeah. Karloff does not deserve to smell my shit. <laughs> uh, good night, folks. Adios. Good night.